Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, uh, Lord, for uh, this time that we have to, to worship you uh, collectively, Lord, that we can gather to fellowship with each other, to encourage one another, uh, to laugh, uh, to bear one another's burdens, uh, to, to come alongside of each other and to help each other in, in this journey that we're on. Uh, Father, we pray that you would continue uh, to lead us and to guide us in all things. We are commanded in your word to pray uh, for our leaders um, so that we as your followers can live uh, quiet and peaceful lives. And so, Father, yesterday we celebrated or remembered, probably as more appropriately, uh, the 20th anniversary of the attacks that happened in our nation. Uh, so many people were affected uh, that day and basically every day for the last 20 years um, and as these mile markers surface, it brings up old wounds. And so we pray, Father, for those uh, that were left behind, those who have lost uh, loved ones either in the attack um, or in defending uh, ourselves uh, in the last 20 years. Lord, there are just a lot of people who have lost loved ones in this war against terrorism. And so we, we pray for those individuals in particular, Lord, um, that you would bring healing, that you would lead them to Christ where the ultimate uh, peace can be found. Father, we pray uh, for those that responded that morning uh, or have responded since then that, uh, that, that bear wounds uh, from seeing things that you did not create us to see. Uh, living in the fallen wo- world uh, comes with these uh, these traumatic things. And so we pray, Father, that you would bring restoration and, and healing to those that bear wounds that uh, can't that aren't seen and, and that they just carry with them. And so we pray for our nation, Lord. We pray for the leadership. We pray for the people. We are a nation that is very divided. Um, even here in California, as we face this election on on Tuesday, Lord, we, we just uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us as your children to, to submit to the government, and, and part of that means that we have a voice and we're to vote. Um, but ultimately, Lord, we know that, uh, that, that peace and joy and contentment is not found through politics. Um, it's only found in Christ. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us in the midst of this uh, chaotic world, um, to focus on you and to lean into you and to find our hope and our assurance and our joy uh, within Christ. And Father, we ask that in doing that, Lord, we continue our our worshiping of you as we've uh, sung a few songs and fellowshiped already this morning. We now turn our attention to the scriptures and we ask, Lord, as we uh, navigate through <clears throat> this letter of Colossians, these couple verses. Father, we ask that your spirit would lead us, that he would guide us, that he would illuminate the meaning of uh, the words that are before us. Uh, the text is quite simple. It's the application. And so, Father, we pray that these words would penetrate our hearts and that we would be able to live out our lives as your children in a way that we keep our eyes on you, that we execute our flesh, and that we put on uh, the, these new garments, Lord, that you desire us to walk in. We pray uh, that you would help us 
to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and that as we do this uh, in the midst of this chaotic world, that we would be a light unto you, and that people would come to, to learn and receive Christ as their Savior, and that lives would ultimately be transformed. For we ultimately realize that that's the only way that any change is going to happen in our world. And so we pray that you would help us uh, to make a difference for you in the little slice of the world um, that we have the benefit of participating in. We love you, God, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, we read, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And Father, again, we look to you for help. Lead us now as we work through this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So just to sort of get our our bearings set, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, the first four verses, we were reminded to to keep our eyes up, uh, to keep our eyes on Christ, to follow after him, uh, to seek him in all things. This really is the the secret to walking on that that razor's edge. We're on the left is legalism and trying to do things in our own ability and works to earn favor with God. On the right is is license, where we lean into the flesh and we basically abuse grace. And the way we navigate this is to keep our eyes on Christ, to, to keep our focus up. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And so often for us, we keep our things, our eyes on the things of this earth. And we do that um, by watching the news, reading the paper. Like, all you have to do is to, like, watch the media for a little bit and see how you're feeling. I, I'm, I suspect that a lot of us have been keeping our eyes on the, the news and you've been seeing the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, it's okay. Daniel, we love him. It's, it, it happened to me before. I know. It's like, I can see him with his big fingers over there desperately. He's dealing with it, everybody. It's like, I think it was the Bible reading to us is what it was. And, uh, and so if you just go about looking at the media, looking at the world, looking at the things that they're pumping into you, it's not good for your soul. Um, it's discouraging and frustrating. The Bible tells us to to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that whole section last week is that we are to be executioners of the flesh, that we're to seek out areas in our life that that are not walking with Christ, that are leading us astray, that are going against the things that God desires us to do, and we're to execute them. I know you guys have all been curious about the chicken coop. Bunch of people have come up to me. It turns out, well, I don't want to get into the whole story. I haven't executed anything yet, but I know what I'm after. So that's a lot of rats. And so we're going to get those guys. Um, 
but as I've been like hunting the rats, as I've got cameras, like everything looking, now I've got like a whole different, like a whole lot of options for how I could execute a rat in the chicken coop. Um, I, I am reminded that I need to be doing the same thing in my own life, that I need to be seeking out and looking for little areas and things in my life that are leading me off course. And today's passage is going to tell us what we're actually to do. We're to put on Christ. We're to put on these things. So we are to kill things, but then we're also to do things. We're not just supposed to spend our lives like killing everything so that we're in a corner just staying perfectly still, like looking at black wall, like don't think about anything, don't think about anything, just don't do anything. It's like, and I think even if we did that, we, we would end up becoming legalists and saying, look, what, look how good I did. I made it 17 minutes of sheer holiness. But then I started buffing, like thinking what a good job I did, and there was pride, and then it's like, then we're back to, so like we're, we're to kill things, but then the Bible also tells us that there are things that we're supposed to do, positive things, that we're to put on certain things. And so this is the transition in verse 12 when we read, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, the foundation for which we're to do the next few things. We see this word, so, it's another transition. Again, your Bible may not have it. This is a therefore. So some translations might have a therefore. Some might have a then. Some might have a therefore. Some might have a since. Some might not have anything within there. But in the Greek, there I assure you that there's a transition. He said what he's had to say, and now he's going to go on to give sort of positive enforcements about what we can do. And he starts with three things. He says, chosen of God, holy and beloved. And so the first one, we see this chosen of God. It could say elect of God. It's the only time it's used in the letter of Colossians. It's used throughout the New Testament a handful of times. I've noticed that when you start speaking of election or chosen, this is an area within Christianity that there's, you can get really heated debate. There's two camps. I'm not even going to like, I don't want to get into the debate of the whole thing. I don't even want to list the names of the extremes of the camps because I don't think there's any fruit in that. But there's, there's a debate. And I think that the, the debate spurs from tension within Scripture because within Scripture we see truths, like two truths that seem to be incompatible with one another. And the reality is, is that I think they're just above our comprehension and our ability and sort of to make sense of it all, we latch onto one side and then we hold on to that side to remove the tension because it's easier for us. But throughout this scripture, there are things that they seem incompatible. And the reality is, is it's just that our brains are finite and we're not God and we don't understand how it all works. And so the, the, the answer is that we have to just really be humble and we have to bow our knees before God and trust in his plan and his sovereignty and the two truths that he sort of gives us. And so on this, this whole idea of being chosen or election, uh, predestination would be a term that gets like lumped in there, but that's a, that's a whole different subject. And so we're kind of like, well, if that, if God chose us, if we've been elected, like, do we have any role in this? 
do we have an obligation then if there's, is there any point to go out and to share the good news if everything's sort of been predetermined? Um, fatalism is a term like that. Is there any point to anything we do if it's all just been ter- determined by God? If he's just chosen us, what's the point? And so far as I've been able to research this idea of election, chosen, predestination within the scriptures, it's only used, so far as I've determined and been able to see, it's only referencing believers. Never does it reference unbelievers. It only speaks to those who have responded to the gospel. We, as we're sort of like, Dealing with this idea that God, as believers, chose us. Like where we go, it's not in the text, but where we go is we go, well, that's just not fair. What about that person who didn't respond, so they're unchosen? And so they were predetermined. That's where the tension lies. And I, like, I get it. Like, we, like if we think through these things, we, we should all kind of grapple with these things. And then we sort of have tension on that front because that doesn't correspond with our understanding of who God is. Jesus is the one in John 3.16, the verse that we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so, th- so throughout the New Testament, we, we have this sort of, this. it's presented that the gospel is there, that Jesus died for you, and that every individual has this opportunity to, to, res- to respond. If you reject Christ, that's the default. That's how we're born. That's our natural state. And so we're told that in our natural state, in our rejection of Christ, you stand condemned for rejecting Christ. But that if you respond by belief, then you're transferred from death into life, from Adam, not into Eve, but into Jesus, into the body of Christ. And so as I look at this subject, I don't see the purpose of the New Testament of God's election or choosing to be something that is for the purpose of debate or arguing or uh, friction or faction within the Christian community, it seems to be used as comfort, assurance, hope, that regardless of how bad things are getting around you, you have been chosen. Um, it, It has nothing to do with the unsaved world. It has to do with the saved world. I had a seminary professor. The guy was great. I wish I could remember his name. I would ask Anna. Anna like wasn't in seminary with me, but she can tell me who the people that she never met were, who my professors were. So this guy was brilliant. He, he had a stroke, and he was still way smarter than any of us in the room. He spoke like seven different languages. He said he got bored with life like just in normal circles, and he was such an evangelist. So what he started to do was he got a job as a limo driver for a high-end limo company just so he can witness to, like, wealthy people. 
But then he said, I remember in class, and I think he had a finger that was cut off, so that's like the thing I remember, you know, because he's like, I'm like, well, wow, I wonder what happened to his finger. And I never did ask. And and he said, I've come to understand this by imagining a door. On the outside of the door, there's a big sign for you guys that goes that way. No, 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 I got it right the first time. <laughs> Sorry, I'm left-handed. It's all my brain's backwards already. Um, and on the outside, it says, whosoever, quoting from John 3.16, whosoever wants to enter can enter. And he says, as soon as you step inside of the door and you respond to the gospel, you turn around on the inside of the door, it says the elect. Don't make me, don't, don't ask me to like make any sense of this other than when I see the, te- when I see the scriptures, the Bible speaks of that God has chosen those who have responded. It also says that for God so loved the whole world. When we get to Second Peter, there's a verse there that says those that were going against God and, and, and basically persecuting the church and would never, it said that, I should just read it, instead of like butchering the, uh, over in Second Peter 2.1, it says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. So these are people who are not going to be ever saved. But what Peter says is that they deny the master who bought them, whosoever they could respond, but they have they've never reached the place of belief. And so these, these are things that... I'm not making light of them. These are things that if we want to grapple with and wrestle and chew on, we can spend our lives on them. And I guess I'm like simple enough just to go like, okay, I understand both to be true. Don't ask me to explain how it all works. I know that as a, as a person who has responded to Christ, he says, you, you've been chosen. He also tells me to go out and to be a light unto the lost world and to, to share Christ with as many people as possible so that they might be saved. I don't know how it works. I also don't understand why we get wrapped up over this first one when the next two are just as mind-boggling to me. Look at So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. Well, that's just as... We get wrapped up around the axle over the chosen of God. But then we're told that in Christ you're Holy. Like there's a there's a whole bunch of different directions that we can go. This this word in its its most basic tense is is to be set apart, like a special dish during the the, the summer. I mentioned that Spanish dish that's like it only serves one purpose. Anybody remember the dish? The olive dish. So you have your olives, and then there's like a little looks like a communion cup. And the purpose is for you to spit your pits into the cup. It doesn't work for anything else. It's, it's what it's for. It has been created, set apart for a special purpose. It's holy. And so that we're told in Christ that we're holy, that we've been set apart for a purpose, that God has given you gifts, that he's equipped you. The body of Christ needs you. You serve a purpose within the body of Christ, within our local fellowship here. You are needed because God has gifted and equipped you in certain and special and unique ways, and you need to be exercising those gifts within the body. 
Mind-boggling. We're also told, and beloved, that God loves you. That's something that you could really grapple with all of your life. It makes me think of David in Psalm 8.4. What is man that you would take thought of him? Like there's that, that it's, it's not a meme. It's like, a, you know, where I get a lot of my information from is memes. Uh, it was more like a meme PowerPoint many years ago. And it kind of started with like Earth. And I'm sure we've seen it. And then it goes to like the next planet or the next planet, or maybe it started with the moon. But like these planets get like exceptionally like ginormous. I think that's a real word to where they're showing these stars and it's like the earth is no longer even visible. And when we look at all of creation and the magnitude of it, and that earth is like not even visible, and then on earth there's us, which are dinky little things, and and the Bible tells us that God loves us, that God created us uniquely, that we're created in his image. He doesn't say that about anything else. So then, as those who have been chosen of God, holy, set apart, beloved, because of these truths, we're told to put on some clean clothes, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And so we're to be executing the things of the flesh and putting on our new clothes. I, um, when, I, when I look at this and clothes, I, I don't really care much for clothes. I mean, I like wearing clothes, like I, as opposed to the office. I got to like, but it's like I don't like go to the mall and go like, oh, I, let's Let's take all of these and we'll go home and we'll, you know, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to harass anybody in my family, but I do have a teenage daughter. She's doing that number. (laughs) Some people really like, like shopping. The, the most, the most I've ever cared about clothing was putting on a brown t-shirt. That's the only time in my whole life that I've cared. (laughs) We have another team guy here. And so I'm like, 18 years old, I finished Hell Week in SEAL training. You're only allowed to wear a white T-shirt until you complete Hell Week. And so you'll go through a lot to get rid of that white T-shirt. And Hell Week isn't pleasant. It sounds like it's named. It's like no sleep. And it's like finally they secure us, and it's like everybody's like zombies, and they're like, Get this white shirt off. And the white shirt is like brown because it's so nasty at that point. It's like, just give me the brown shirt. And I'll never forget putting on that brown T-shirt. It's like, this is nice. And then I was like, it's just like a brown, this is a T-shirt. Like, what I do? I'm really not a smart man that I did all of that for a brown T-shirt. Like, like, I thought I would find contentment in making it through Hell Week. Then I thought I'd get contentment by putting on the Budweiser, the Trident, and then I, it's like, this is like a cheap little like fake metal thing that's coated in gold that was probably made in China. And 
And now it's like one more thing I got to keep straight in my uniform. That just brings like the, the contentment didn't come with that. Now I'm not saying I don't like. And so as Christians, more important than anything else, like our old life, we can crucify it. We can be done with it. And we're we're to, we're instructed to put on these things: heart of compassion. This is the idea of heartfelt compassion. This is to have pity, mercy sympathy, and compassion. So now when we go about our days and we see individuals, instead of getting like frustrated and angry with them, we need to be compassionate. Uh, this, this heart of compassion to put ourselves in their shoes and to recognize them as somebody for whom Christ died. We're to be kind. And this is very similar to compassion. One author wrote this. He said, refers to the grace of, that pervades the whole person, mellowing out, wait, mellowing all that might be harsh. I really like that. I need more kindness. I need a whole lot of mellowing out all that might be harsh in my life. Humility. It's funny now, in the ancient world, when this was written, humility was something that was looked down upon. This was something that was shameful, and Christianity rewrote this word as something to be sought after. Um, It's the idea that we recognize our insignificance in light of God. And we no longer measure ourselves against other human beings. We measure ourselves against God. And when we do that, it brings with it great humility. Gentleness. Now, gentleness isn't weakness. Now, for, I think Debbie was sick last week. I don't know if she's somewhere. There she is. So, gentleness, I've been thinking about Debbie, not that, gent- not that you're gentle, <laughs> but she has horses. And these beasts, these big old animals, and Dasher, the gray, this big old like wild horse, like he's, what's his breed again? He's like thoroughbred, yeah. So I knew enough about horses growing up that like thoroughbreds, I didn't want to ride them because they're like crazy. And he's this big old horse, and then you see him like run up to the fence and just like with his big old head, like just nuzzle you with it. And it's one of the most beautiful things when you get this like this beast of an animal that's so strong and so powerful. And yet somehow in all of their strength, they withhold it with just gentleness. And, and this is sort of the image when I see this word gentleness, that regardless of how strong and powerful and what you have, we're to be like that animal that's contained and uses gentleness in its interaction. Patience. The Greek word, and sometimes the New American Standard defines it with two words that are self-explanatory, long-suffering. Patience is to suffer Long. It's really descriptive. I don't think I need to add to it. Barclay, on all of these points, he says it's most significant to note that every one of the the graces listed has to do with personal relationships between man and man, or person and person is what he means. Uh, Between man and man, there is no mention of virtues like efficiency or cleverness, not even of diligence or industry, Not that these things are unimportant, but the great basic 
Christian virtues are those which govern human relationships. That's really powerful. That when Christ enters our lives and he says to put on these new clothing that I'm, these new clothes that I'm equipping you with, put on these things. And the things that I'm putting onto you, it's going to transform how you interact with your fellow human beings. Like the primary outworking of Christianity in our lives is our relationships with one another. We could and we should spend the rest of our lives working on that. Verse 13, bearing with one another, <laughs> long-suffering. Like, I love this. This is like talking about getting real. Um, people are difficult, amen? Like, you're difficult. I am difficult. We can be a pain to be around because we get cranky, we get hangry, when you get hungry and you're like, just want to eat. There's a lot of people who struggle with hangriness around here. Like, I can't function when I'm hungry. Like, I spent one trip driving from Anna's grandpa's house in San Luis Obispo to Valley Center, starving, trying to get the next exit to In-N-Out, and I kept missing. Like, I would see the sign. It's like, oh, we're going to the next one. It started in San Luis Obispo, and we ate in Escondido. It was furious. I don't know that hangry is in the Bible, but it's a real thing. We're difficult. We're hard to be around. And so we need to bear with one another. Forgiving each other. This is, this is difficult. This is, I, I think of Peter, as Jesus is talking about forgiveness, he's like, can we have some clarification? Like, I, like I should have looked at the passage, but it was like, basically, he's like, two or three times? And Jesus gives some number that means like infinity plus infinity plus one. Like, you're to continue to forgive people. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against any, anyone, there's no disclaimer. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as so you must. Just as what? Just as the Lord forgave you. Mm, that's a tough one. God forgave you of a lot. God forgave me of a lot, lot. And that now becomes the standard by which I need to forgive, which is a standard that's far greater than I can even possibly begin to think that I can meet. Forgiveness is releasing someone from the debt of the pain and sorrow and, and frustration that they've caused you. Like, they can be real. And so when God says that we're to be forgiving, we need to release them of the hurt that they caused us. We might not have a relationship with them. We might, like, there might be a consequence of the things that they have done to you, but forgiveness is a separate thing altogether. Like, as I've been thinking about this this week, it's like, it's been a hard week. Like, the last two weeks, just because I'm transparent, like, like I, you guys, if you've been, if you're visiting, I'm pretty, I'm open. I, uh, last two weeks have been hard. Seeing the absolute chaos and destruction in Afghanistan after 20 years, like, I don't even know how, like, I, like, I haven't done a count of how many friends I've lost. But I've lost a lot of friends in Afghanistan. 
And then it's the anniversary of 9-11. So, so to remember that morning, I had just gotten back from the Middle East. And then the, the news of the towers going down. So I would be like lying to you if I sat here and said, oh yeah, I just like love all my Muslim brothers and it's really easy for me and we're just, like I know that God wants that from me and, and I, I do, I can say that I love them because like I genuinely do, like so many people within Islam are just misled and they're born into it and they're like, and I have some very pleasant experiences in the Middle East. Like I, I genuinely do love like Muslim people. Like I have like, I'm not just saying that with like lip service, but it's also like a real strain. And then I'm reading this passage, like I'm studying this passage, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, including Islam. Like this is a really rough week for me to be studying this passage, you know, like, and then as we're worshiping today, you know, Rick always laughs at me. He's like, oh, yeah, like last minute when you start making notes, it's like you've been studying all week. Do you think you have anything to add, like two seconds before you? But as we're singing, six years ago, there was an incident in, Car- in, in South Carolina in Charleston. There was a young white man that went into a black church, and he killed nine black brothers and sisters of ours in Christ after an hour-long prayer meeting. It was, it was obviously a heinous thing. It's sad that we live in a world like this. It's sad that we, when we gather to worship, we have to be concerned about security and protecting, but we have an obligation to, to do the best we can. The thing about that case, I don't know if you guys remember the court trial. Hearing the family members of the victims Speaking to the individual who killed their family members was so humbling. Like, I would encourage you to Google, like, I'm assuming you can find it on Google. Like, I probably will redo this. But I remember seeing these individuals look at the individual, and all they did was share Christ with him. They forgave him. They said, your soul is the most important thing here, and Jesus died for you like he died for us. And I just remember hearing these testimonies and going, I am not worthy to carry the name Christ. Like, I don't know that I could. And like, they're forgiving. It doesn't mean that the consequence of the law didn't come down on this individual. Like, he's still somewhere. Like, I. But they were such a picture that I needed to be reminded of this morning when I read this bearing with one another forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you must do also. Jesus forgave me of a lot. Like Gunnar was, has a PhD in folly and stupidity. Like I should be dead. Like I, my birthday was this week. I turned 47. I never thought I'd make it to 40. Like I, I, I'm sure I have friends like, oh, like, oh yeah, I didn't think you'd make it to 40 either. Like the stuff you were doing. Like I, like my dad and stuff, you know, <laughs> like. But we need to come to terms and really grapple with all that Christ forgave us of. And then that's our standard. And I'm not saying it's easy to do this, but we're commanded to. And when we fall short, 
We're to confess our sins, and God is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us new. But then you'll find that as you begin like living your life this way, you'll find that as that thought or the thing is about to come out of your mouth, the Spirit will zap you with like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. Like, And the better you get at not doing it, the, the more responsive you begin again to be in his leading in your life. And the opposite is true. The more you go against the Spirit, the you, you can get a seared conscience, the Bible talks about, where you just have no problem violating <laughs> the gift that God has given us in the Spirit to keep us on track. But Paul's not done. Verse 14. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So again, this, this picture of putting on clothing in addition to all the things that he's talked about, the, the sort of the cherry on top of the banana split is to put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this, those who would desire to be mature in Christ must make love a top priority. We need to seek to love people. Um, as as a chaplain, like I've seen a lot, like I've learned so much from law enforcement, just like, like, so I have a hard time, like with the um, mentally disabled, uh, like psychotic individuals that are on the street. Uh, it, anything that would remind me of my biological mom, like I tend to like have a, a, a difficult time with. And so by hanging out with cops, and seeing them interact with this this population, like I I've I've learned a, like a lot of compassion. Um, even the Saturday morning Bible study, I don't see him right now, but I know he's here. But and I I don't know. If I'm trying to. There's a fireman, and he talked about early in his career that when he went on scenes, no matter how bad the individual was, he would call them by Mister or Mrs., whoever, to bring dignity to their name. And so then when I started on these ride-alongs and seeing individuals that I would really have a hard time, like now, when I see these individuals, what I imagine is like a newborn baby. And it's like at one point, this was like a child that like came out of like a woman that loved this individual. And to see this individual now is, is just sad and heartbreaking. And I don't know that I have like the answer to do anything about this, but it's like, God wants us to love. Like this is an individual more than the mother that gave birth, that their creator is my creator, and he created them. And for whatever reasons, they ended up this way. And love is a powerful thing. And within the body of Christ, if we can set love as our, our number one default, that we want to love one another, love covers so much. So early in my time coming here to this church, one of the things, like, so with shopping, like, music is kind of, like, up there with shopping for me. Like, I like music when it's done well, and, like, I, we do it well. Like, I'm super grateful for, like, Don and the worship team, and, like, because it's a special individual that can get me singing. <clears throat> I can barely talk, you know? It's like, um, and I feel so bad because Don gets me singing, and I'm like six inches from his face, belting away. So he's able to keep on track somehow because I know how sensitive he is to like how things sound. 
but I know that I've noticed they've gone to the in-ear monitors, <laughs> so I think there's probably a, a connection. I'm not making eye contact with Don because I don't want to get my feelings hurt. And uh, what was I even talking about? Oh, so like when I first came here, music is one of the most like people like have strong feelings, and it's like anytime music comes up, I just cringe. It's like I don't even want to like get into this. Like I don't want to. I just. Can't we get along? Like, I can't sing or do anything, so, like, I don't, like, I'm just grateful that it's there. And early on, Miss Pat, so Miss Pat was one of my victims. Miss Pat, can you raise your hand? Oh, I think everybody knows Miss Pat. Miss um, Pat and Kelly Kidder, who's no longer here, but within, like, it was like a, a week together, a week apart. It might have even been the same day, but I don't remember the details, and they weren't talking to each other. But I, like, after church went somewhere, and I heard, like, I heard Kelly talking about music, and I was like, oh, I just want to go the other way because somebody's complaining about, like, the songs that were chosen or something, and I don't. But I got, I got close, and Kelly was like, I just love that we do him so much. I'm like, huh. Kelly's a young person, just so you guys know. Like, she's, well, I don't know if she's short, but she's, you know, young, she's young, like, She's like 30. She was probably, she's probably older than 30, but don't, that's, she was 30 then. Um, and she's like, because I love the old people at the church. And so I love the hymns. And then I like walked over and I hear Miss Pat complain, like, I wish we'd do more zippier songs because, because <laughs> I love the young people. And it's like, was so beautiful, like, it's beautiful because, like, if you love, and then this week I hear, like, Melanie's like, oh, man, Brooke texted me about worship. Brooke's homesick with a kid, or she's not sick, but a little baby's sick, and she, like, reached out to, and, to Melanie about worship, and I'm like, I don't want to hear. I'm like, is Dawn in the thread? Okay, you, Dawn, can work it out, and it's just like, but then it's like, yeah, she began to share with me. She's just like, well, I just, I'm willing to take it on myself, but I just, like, want to deceive from people? Are there songs out there that we'd like to sing? Not to, you know, turn this into like a voting system, but like maybe there are songs out there or maybe there are songs that people are tired of hearing. And, and I'm like, that, what an act of love to like volunteer in this way. And so I, th- like, this is just beautiful. When we come to Christ and we put on these things and we truly begin to love like Christ loved us, it has a radical impact. In fact, this is what Christ prayed for us in John 17, one of the last prayers that's recorded about Jesus, he prayed for the people that would come after he was gone, which is us. And he says he's praying that they, in John 17, verse 23, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. And so we're told as followers of Christ, if we simply love one another and bear with one another and we're long-suffering with one another, that has a profound impact on the world around us. Okay, so what do we do with this? I'm out of time. Verses 1 through 4 in chapter 3, we need to keep looking up. We need to keep our eyes on Christ. And as we keep our eyes on Christ, he will keep us focused. Next week, we're going to get into let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body and to be thankful. This is like a super good reminder. This week, especially in California, I'm certain regardless of what happens, 
like the thing on Tuesday, you know, the election. That's what I'm like. <laughs> like there are extreme feelings. Whatever happens, whatever side you're on, <clears throat> whatever the outcome is, none of it will bring you peace. Even if your side wins, it will not deliver you peace. A politician cannot deliver you the peace that the Bible says only Jesus can deliver. And so we need to keep our eyes on him. We need to keep loving one another. And if your neighbor has the sign that you disagree with, like still love your neighbor. Everyone. Jesus said, love your enemies. And as we keep our eyes on him, he delivers peace to us. He equips us with the love that we need to go about this and transformation, which is the only thing that actually has an impact in people's lives. And I'm deeply thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you and praise you for the words in this passage that are so difficult. Our flesh is so strong. Our feelings are powerful. We, we feel deeply and we have strong emotions and there is, uh, we think if only this happens, then I'll be happy. If a new person is in control or if this person remains or if I leave the state or if I get a new job or if I do this, then I will only find the satisfaction and peace and contentment that I'm looking for. Your word makes it very clear that this world is fallen and this world is under the control of the evil one. And so we're only kidding ourselves if we think that we can find peace anywhere else. And so, Father, we recognize that we have nowhere else to go but to you. And so we thank you that you are the ultimate forgiver. You're the ultimate person or one who brings transformation. And so, Father, as we look at this list of things that we're to put on, we pray, Father, that by your spirit, you would do this work within us. Help us to be a compassionate, gentle, kind, loving group of people. Help us to be patient with one another. May you be glorified in all that we do. Keep our hearts anchored to you, Lord. We thank you that you have chosen us. We thank you that you have made us holy. We thank you that your word tells us that we are loved by you. May that be our guide. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.